Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing good this morning? Man, I see a lot of happy faces out there. This must be people that didn't go to the mall yesterday or don't have to go to the mall this afternoon because there's nothing that sucks the happy out of you like a trip to the mall. Now, don't get me wrong. That shopping is like my favorite thing. Just not... Just not the weekends before Christmas. Hey, um, anybody, uh, anybody, anyway, um, thank you for, for being here this morning. I do see a bunch of new faces. So if, if you are new here, haven't had a chance to, to connect and maybe say hi to me or to my wife, Gabe, uh, please do that after service. We think one of the most important things to us here at this church is that we feel like a family. And we want to do that. And so if you don't feel like you're part of the family because you don't know anybody, maybe that's more realistically like a lot of families, but we want this to be different. We want to get to know you. So, so stop by after service and, and say hi to us and get to know us a little bit. Um, another quick, uh, just a housekeeping, actually two uh, housekeeping things really quickly. These flyers for the Christmas or the postcards for the Christmas services, grab those and take them with you. We have a whole lot more, but I don't know what the dynamic is that when I put them out on the seats, people look at them and they go, I'll leave it for the next guy. Take them. We have thousands of them, okay? Put them on friends and Nate. Walk through parking lots and put them on. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Anyway, take them with you, seriously, because our, we, we think we have a really great offering for the, for the weekend of Christmas and then for Christmas Eve, so we want everybody to be up to speed on what's going on. If you have questions, you can grab us after service. And then the only other thing really quickly is just another, probably our last announcement for our Israel trip. Um, had a whole bunch of interest more than enough interest in our 2019 Israel trip, fall of 2019. But when it comes time to make that transition from I'm super interested to I've committed and I've put down a deposit, that's where we're lagging a little bit behind. And so we need to make some decisions before we buy plane tickets and things like that. And that's all going to happen like right around the first of the year. So if you're sitting on the fence and you're trying to decide should I, shouldn't I, get with Gabe or I or one of our, one of our staff and, and we can answer your questions, any concerns that you might have, but we need to make some decisions. So if we're going to move forward, we need to have commitments. So anyway, it's a wonderful trip. If you don't know how amazing it is, find somebody who's been uh, or, or gave or I, and we can share it with you. It is incredible. So anyway, that's, that's all for that. Uh, I want to get into our message. We are, um, in the few weeks leading up to Christmas, we're talking about messianic prophecy. That sounds really fancy, right? Messianic prophecy is really, it's simple. It's what does the Bible say about a coming Savior? What has the Bible always said from day one about a coming Savior? And I want you to know that Jesus wasn't God's plan B. How many times do we hear it, hear it teach, taught like that? And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago that it's easy to look at, okay, God had a plan for his people. That plan was to walk together in the Garden of Eden and and be together and commune together and everything is perfect and and we're in paradise. We're in the Garden of Eden, right? And then, dun-dun-dun, sin enters the world, okay, in the form of Satan. And we fall to that. And now we're a fallen people, and now we're separated from God. And it's easy to picture Father God going, oh, man, I had it all laid out, and they blew it. I had everything perfect, and they blew it. Okay, what do I do? What do I do? 
you know, picture God pacing back and what do I know? I'll send Jesus. It's easy to think of it like that because so many times we've kind of heard it taught like that, right? That because of that, God had to send Jesus. And then we connect the dots and say, Jesus might have been plan B. Well, I want to let you know that as we talk through prophecy in the Bible, one of the reasons that's so important to talk about, why is it important to talk about something that was written thousands of years ago and to fully understand it? The reason it's important is to understand that Jesus was never plan B. Jesus was always the plan. A savior for us was always the plan. Yes, God had so much in mind for us. He had so many plans for us. But here's the thing. He knew that we were going to need a Savior. He knew that Jesus was going to be a necessity. It wasn't like an add-on to his thought. And so as we go through prophecy and we talk through everything, I want you to see the picture of a loving and faithful God who knew that no matter how much we tried in our own flesh, no matter how much we tried to follow the law and we tried to do the right thing, we just weren't going to be able to do it. And we were going to need a Savior. We were going to have hurts and fears and sickness and all these things that were going to make a Savior necessary for us. And so a faithful God has put his word together. We get it in print form. They didn't have it back then. When Jesus talks about scriptures, when he quotes Old Testament, to him it's not old anything. To him it's the holy scriptures. That's what it is. And we call it the old because now we have a new. But it was there for a reason. It wasn't just there as a history book so that we understood where we came from. It was there as evidence, as written personal evidence of a God who knew that we were going to need a Savior and was faithful enough and loved us enough to make a way from the very beginning. That's why it's important. That's why it's important to go back thousands of years ago and read some scriptures. Okay, so we're going to get into that. That's why it's important. So now I have a question for everybody here. What's your favorite thing about Christmas? Interactive. Tell me. (laughs) Shout it out. Family. Family. Family is wonderful. What else? The light. light, Christmas lights. They're so fun. What else? Music. Music. All the old songs and all the old carols. How fun is that? What else? Food. Food. Yes. What else? Giving. Giving. Neighbors. Neighbors. Family. Presents. Presents. Okay. Somebody had to say it, right? Okay, thank you, Melinda, for, be, for being willing. Okay. Food, family, presence, all these things are wonderful reasons. Wonderful, wonderful reasons. But this time of year, all over the world, whether you are a believer in Jesus Christ or not, you know about Christmas. And most everybody knows that Christmas somehow or another relates to Jesus Christ. Again, whether you believe or not, your mind turns there. 
And so as these people, again, believers and non-believers alike, as they gather around and they have presents and they eat food and they hang out with family and they listen to music in the mall, whether they want to or not, they're listening to Christmas music, right? They're partaking in the celebration of a Savior. And ultimately what they're partaking in, whether they want to or not, they are partaking in a promise fulfilled. The promise of our loving God who promised, I'm sending my son Jesus to you to save you from yourselves. And on Christmas Day, what we get to celebrate is the fulfillment of that promise. God made many promises to us. The the word is full of promises. But specifically, he promises us over and over again and has since the very beginning I know what you're going through, but hold on. I love you, and I've made a way. I know that you're scared, and I know things are happening to you, and I know you have doubts, and I know you have fears, and I know things don't look like the way you always want them to, but hang on, because I've made a way. And he is not now, nor has he ever been, plan B. So that's what we're going to look at as we go through this. And so let's look at some scriptures. I'm going to do it in kind of a, of a prophetic promise and a fulfillment kind of a way. So I'm going to share an Old Testament scripture with you, and then I'm going to show you where that was fulfilled. So let's go all the way back. Maybe not the first prophetic promise, but one of them in Genesis, Genesis 22:18. This is God speaking to Abraham. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Anybody know what that's called? It's Abrahamic covenant. One of many covenants that God has made with his people. But this one goes all the way back to the beginning where God is simply telling Abraham, because you have obeyed me, I'm going to bless all the nations. They'll be blessed because of your obeying. That's, that's where this starts out, going back to the, one of the very first promises that foreshadow Jesus and a coming Messiah. This is the way he's going to make this happen. So let's look at how this was fulfilled then. This is an Acts. Now, if you remember, this is actually Peter talking to the church in Jerusalem, and he's saying, it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers saying to Abraham, again, referring back, and that's why it's in all caps. He's not yelling. It's in all caps because that references Old Testament scripture. And in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Remember, this is Peter trying to tell those Jews who were in the early Jerusalem church who were coming to believe, struggling in many cases, to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And he's saying, remember, You've been promised for thousands of years that this was coming. He's here now, and this is him. So they were struggling to try and and get that point across. And this is where we are. So now, we go from the very first, the promise, and then the promise fulfilled in Jesus. Let's go back and look at some uh, some of the more specific ones. Let's go back and look at the virgin birth. Now, let me ask you a question. If you, were writing, if you were writing a story, let's call it, if you were writing a story and you wanted to comfort people 
and say, hey, I know, I know sometimes there's enemies on the doorstep and you're surrounded and things aren't going well and there's famine and there's all these things, but I'm going to write a story about a coming Savior to comfort you. If you were going to do that, would you start out your story by saying, he's going to be born from a virgin? Would you start your story like that? Probably not. Because people are going to go, huh? This is one of the reasons why we know that when we read scripture, when we read prophecy like this, it had to be from God. Because nobody's going to stand up in front of a crowd of people and go, listen, our Savior's coming. First, a virgin is going to give birth to a baby. And then, okay, you've lost them at that part. They're not going to hear anything past and then. But let's look at some scripture about this. This is from Isaiah Chapter 7, verse 14, 700 years before the birth of Christ, give or take, okay? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. This is Isaiah, a prophet. He's standing up and he's telling these people, wait, it's coming. God is promising us this. And again, he starts out by saying, a virgin will be with child. Now, the name Emmanuel, that's interesting too. The name Emmanuel, anybody know what that translates as in Hebrew? God with us. Very good. However, there is a little bit of a variant, depending on where you find it. In this instance, what that means is with us is God. God with us, with us is God. Slight difference, maybe, semantics, no. It means something, it's significant. God with us, we know God's with us right now, right? God's with us, God's in this room. He's everywhere, he is everywhere. With us is God. It's much more personal, it's a promise. With us, God's with us. He's not just physically present, he is with us. He is for us. His face is turned towards us. He has favor on us. With us is God. And they're saying that this new child is going to be with us. And that's going to be evidence of God with us. All right, so let's look at the fulfillment here. This is Luke. Remember, Luke, when he writes, Luke is, is very... Um, very specific in how he writes and that he's documenting time and place and it's almost like a court reporter in some cases. This person said this that time and he's very, very careful to document it like that. And so he documents this, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now Mary says to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? The answer, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Now where did Luke get this? Where did Luke get that interaction, those words? He talked to Mary. 
Truth is, he went around and, and got eyewitness testimony to the things that he wrote about. One of the reasons why I, write, why I love Luke and Acts, because he eyewitness testimony, and he very much knew Mary, Jesus' mother, and he talked to her, and he said, so how, how did this go with the angel? What did the angel say to you? And so when he documents this, Mary is saying, the angel told me I was going to be a virgin and I was going to have a child. This is fulfillment of that virgin birth promise. I love that the Lord chose Luke to document this because some of the other writers of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, they, they injected a little bit of editorial comment along the way. But Luke, again, very much known for being, I'm going to interview you and I'm going to write down what you said because he wanted to document it accurately. Let's look at another thing that foretells the coming Savior. How about his place of birth? Where was he born? Bethlehem. Let's look at some scripture that talks about that. This is Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah, so again, about 700 years prior. Now, Micah and Isaiah were in two different kingdoms, okay? Isaiah was in Judah. Micah was in Israel. They, it's not like they lived in the same house for prophets or anything like that and talked about what they were going to write. Similar time frames, but separate. But as for you, Bethlehem Epaphrath, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Too little to be among the clans of Judah. Bethlehem was insignificant. That would be like me saying to you, a great ruler of nations is coming, and he's going to be born in Rocky Ford, Colorado. <laughs> Remember that place famous for melons? That's where our Savior is coming from. It'd be just like that. Bethlehem wasn't known for anything. In fact, the word Bethlehem translates in the Hebrew as house of bread. That's all they were known for. That's all they were known for. House of bread. House of bread. What's another name for Jesus? bread of life. Isn't it great how God works these things? Bethlehem, his birthplace, all it's known as the house of bread, and from it comes Jesus, also known as the bread of life. But too small to be even among the clans of Judah, meaning even as Judah, they would, they would have these regional clans of, of power, and they were so insignificant, they didn't even think about them. We're not even going to come visit you and ask you to join us because you've got nothing to offer us. Now let's look at the new fulfillment again from Luke, chapter 2, 1 to 5. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census to take place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. Let me stop there really quick. This is how the census worked back then. Like now, we have computers, and if you move from state to state and they do a census, they can track where you've gone 
and they're not double counting you. Back then, they didn't have that. So when it was time for the census, the Roman, the emperor would decree, everybody, I don't care where you live, I don't care where you are, go back to your hometown. So then they could go into Bethlehem or these different towns, and they could say, okay, we've counted this many people in this town. They would know, and there was no double counting for people who had moved or moving around or anything like that. This is what you had to do. You had to go back to your hometown. So that's what this is talking about. Everyone went to his own town to register. All right, next one. So Joseph also went up from Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. Nazareth is where they were living at the time. To the city of David called Bethlehem, since he was from the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to him in marriage and was expecting a child. So this is why they go back to Bethlehem. Now let me ask you a question. Why is Bethlehem? It says here in verse 4, to the city of David called Bethlehem. Why do you think they called Bethlehem the city of David? Anybody have any ideas? Good answer. So much smarter than last night's crowd. They had no idea. I just had crickets. Thank you, John. Yes, yes, Bethlehem is where David was born. David, king of Israel, was born in Bethlehem. We actually have scripture that, that uh, talks about that. This is from 1 Samuel. I don't think I gave it to them, so I will read it after I wake my iPad up. And the dangers of electronics. Um, this is 1 Samuel Chapter 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to see Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his son. This is the Lord telling Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem. See Jesse, one of his sons is to be anointed as the future king of Israel. God takes these things that are seemingly insignificant and he works them together in the most amazing ways. Why does he do this? Why does he do this? He does this because he knows we're going to be skeptical. And we're going to look at scripture and we're going to hear teaching and we're going to look back and eventually the light bulb's going to turn on in our head where we say, you know what? God's always had a plan. Nothing is a surprise to him. He has always had a plan, and he has laid clues for us in the word so that those with eyes to see and ears to hear can see of how faithful he has been and how faithful he has always been. I love that he does that. Now, next one, let's look at the, uh, the lineage. The lineage here. I've got Numbers 24, 17. Now, Numbers was written about 1,400 years or so before Jesus, give or take. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. Ooh, that sounds cool, right? (laughs) That sounds cool. Anybody know who's, who's speaking this? Who's that? Balaam. 
Absolutely right. Does anybody know who Balaam was? Balaam, a prophet of sorts is a great way to put it. Balaam was not necessarily a believer. He was actually a sorcerer. Okay, prophet of sorts, a sorcerer, God used him to deliver this word at this time to a people who may not have otherwise listened. See, God used Saul in ways. God used different prophets in different ways because they had unique authority to speak to the people that God wanted them to speak to. Used a donkey one time. Because other donkeys wouldn't listen to anybody else. God does this. And God at this point actually used a non-believer who eventually, when God was finished with him and wasn't speaking through him anymore, Balaam continued to try and hold on to that mantle and prophesy. It was later uncovered as, as being one of the false prophets that we talk about. But at this point, God is using him to deliver this message. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down the sons of Sheth. Why is that last part significant? It's significant because of who Balaam is speaking to. Okay, He's speaking to people who know that they are about to go into a battle, potentially. They're about to be faced with overcoming the people of Moab, the people of Sheth, they know that ultimately they're headed towards Canaan, the promised land. But to get there, they've got to go through several really powerful tribes, several powerful people, Moab and Sheth being among two of them, okay? That's not an individual person. That's a tribe, a people group. And he's telling them, don't worry, don't worry, a star shall come forth and a scepter shall rise and that will help you crush your enemies. That's what they needed to hear. That's the comfort they needed at that point. Okay, because they know what they had been promised. They'd been walking towards it and they knew, but looming on the horizon, they saw this danger and they started to get scared. How many times do we know that God is so good to us God is so faithful to us, and when we need, he comes through for us. He provides for us our very breath, the blood in our veins, everything that we have, he provides for us. But how many times when we're faced with that looming problem? Rent's due, and I don't have enough in my account. I have some tests that I have to go do at the doctor on Monday, and I don't know how they're going to go. I've got a relative who's sick, and I don't know how it's going to happen. When we're faced with that looming issue, that looming attack, how many times do we revert back to, I don't know what's going to happen? Well, God here is telling you, I have always known what was going to happen, and I have always been with you, and I'm always going to be with you. You have no reason to fear. And yet we're reminded time and time and time again because in our flesh, we revert to what am I going to do about this? Not what has my faithful God already done about this. So let me show you a picture when it says the lineage of Jacob. Let me show you just a quick breakdown. I don't know how well you can read that. 
And it's not comprehensive, but this is kind of the lineage where it goes from Abraham ultimately down to Jesus. Okay, Abraham had three different wives here. They had Hagar over on the left, through which he had Ishmael. Another teaching for another day. Okay, a lot of this is. Sarah, by which he had Isaac. And then Rebekah, by which he had Jacob. And then over here, Keturah, which he had these other, these other people over here. But we're going to focus going straight down. So we have Abraham, and then we have Isaac, and then we have Jacob. And then Jacob with one of his wives, Leah. Okay, Jacob had these other wives here, but Leah is the one we're going to focus on. Goes down through Judah, and then to King David, and then ultimately to Jesus Christ. It is a direct lineage, and when you look at these things, how many things had to piece together to make our Messiah, our Savior, fulfill the prophecy of being from the house of Judah, the house of Jacob, all the way back to Abraham. There's a lot there. Okay, I just wanted to show you that because there's so many pieces when it talks about that your Savior shall come from a certain line. This is what they're talking about when they talk about a house, a house of Jacob. They're talking about from that direct lineage, and Jesus fulfills that. So what we see as a fulfillment in that, in Scripture anyway, is from Revelation. Revelation twenty-two sixteen. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Jesus himself claiming lineage as a descendant of David. I love how God works like that. Let me show you another one. This is, remember you've heard of the, um, the adoration of the Magi, some people call it, right? The adoration of the Magi. This is from Isaiah 60, verse 3. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Okay, foretelling, foretelling the birth of a Savior and saying nations and kings will come to your rising. Now we see this fulfilled, at least documentation of it, in Matthew 2.2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Who's saying this? Who? The wise men. Anybody, anybody else have other ideas? The wise men, or otherwise known as the magi, right? They're asking, we saw the star and we've come to worship him. Where is this king of the Jews? And let me ask you a question. This is not deep theological question. But I want to ask it because it points out what I always say, that you can't just take conventional wisdom or somebody's depiction in a cartoon as to how things went back in the Bible. How many magi were there? Three? Three? More than that, okay? Anybody have any other answers? I have three and I have more than three. Anybody have less than three? Going? Going? No. We commonly see it depicted as three, right? Even on our own background slide, if you can see it, there's three. We commonly see it depicted as three. Why do we, why do we see it as three? Because of three gifts. What are the three gifts? 
frankincense, myrrh, and gold. We see that in Scripture where it says that. But where else do we get? We've, who's heard the song, We Three Kings? Okay. We know, of course, that there were three kings, but were there more? And were they kings, or were they more accurately magi? Well, magi really translates to, uh, in some ways, sorcerer, wise men, prophet. It's a number of things that are encompassed in that term magi, not just kings. So it could have been kings, based on the gifts that they come bringing. That's a good thought that they probably were, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. But let me show you a scripture. I'll read it to you. This is a, a Psalm 72, uh, verse 9 and 10. Let the nomads of the desert bow before him, talking about the Savior, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and distant shores bring tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. So we look at that, we have Tarshish and, and uh, Seba and Sheba, kings of, right? But there's also that other line in there, and distant shores. So we know that there was at least four. Okay, So when we see nativity scenes that have three kings or three wise men, or we see our kids' Christmas play and it's got three wise men, or we look at backdrops like this and three wise men, are they wrong? No, because numbers four through however many there are, they're on the other side of that hill and you just can't see them. <laughs> they're here, you just, you're only just seeing three of them right now. So if there are five kings, then there's also three kings, right? So anyway, it's not wrong. Theologically significant, I don't know. But I want you to see that you can't just take what's conventionally talked about as the truth. Sometimes you need to look a little bit deeper into the word to find what's really going on. So, here's where we are. Here's where we are. Matthew, uh, the last, well, the second to last scripture that I have here, I'll read it for you. Matthew 2, 10 to 11 is the fulfillment of this. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. With great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child Mary with his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So, again, you put those together, and you can see how commonly we're thinking that it's three. But what all these scriptures, all this prophecy has in common is that they point towards Jesus. They point towards the birth, specifically, of a Savior, the promised Savior, who has been promised to us from all the way back at the beginning. So I want to ask you, let me ask this question to everybody, and I kind of gave you a hint up at the beginning, but why is it so important to understand prophecy? Go ahead and throw it out if you have any, any other answers other than what I said at the beginning. But it points towards Jesus. Right. They point towards Jesus. What about a practical reason? Strengthens our faith. Strengthens our faith. That's a great one. That's a great way to phrase it. But let me ask you this. 
Have you ever been impatient waiting for God to move? Let me just, let me just talk about myself. I pray every day, multiple times a day, and I'm always, I'm always very good. Being a pastor, okay, I like to try and consider myself as, as being a little holy, okay? I like to give God at least an hour, sometimes two, to answer my prayers before I move on. Sometimes I'll give him a whole day if I'm feeling generous. Let me give you a real life example of how this works. Every day for the past three plus years, I've been praying that God would answer one specific prayer of mine. That was to heal my wife of type 1 diabetes. And I pray that prayer every day. And he hasn't answered it yet. And so my temptation is to say this. Maybe some of you pray something similarly. And after you don't get response in the time frame we think we should, we go, well, maybe it's just God's will. Maybe it's just God's will that the healing doesn't happen or that my bank account doesn't come through or that I don't get this job or whatever, fill in the blank on what your prayer is. We're trying to give God an out essentially, right? Saying I've prayed for this, it hasn't happened. Okay, it's probably not in his will. Maybe I just got it wrong. So I trust God. I do trust God. And so I'm going to say, I'm just going to trust that it's not his will right now. Or it's not his timing. When we look at these scriptures, the most recent of the scriptures that I read to you was 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Some were 900, some were 1,400 plus years before the birth of Jesus. Do you guys have patience to wait that long? <laughs> What I'm telling you here is that God puts this scripture in here. He gives us this prophecy and he reminds us of it and we should know about it because when we see that things don't happen in the time frame that we envision, do you think the people of Judah who are being comforted by Isaiah saying, hey, God's got this. He's going to be faithful. He's sending a Messiah. The Messiah is coming. He's going to help us conquer our enemies. Okay, do you think they had any thought in their mind that they were going to have to wait 700 years for the birth of that Messiah? God's timing is different, but his faithfulness is not. His timing can't be comprehended, but his faithfulness can be. God's faithfulness time and time again in the word of God telling you, I have already made a way for you to conquer everything that comes against you. I know that in your life, you're going to hurt. I know that in your life, you're going to fear. I know that in your life, you're going to need. You're going to be sick. Loved ones are going to be sick. Loved ones are going to need. And I know all these things. And I have made a way. Trust in me. Trust in my son, Jesus. It's the same message that he has given since day one. It's not plan B. 
His plan for a savior for us has always been the plan. And so when we go into the Christmas season, the Christmas holiday, you wake up Christmas morning, we rush down to the tree and we open presents and we, we gather in the kitchen and we eat snacks and we gather with family and we do all the fun things that we do on Christmas. But let's do it celebrating in our hearts that our faithful God has made a way and has fulfilled that promise in Jesus Christ for us. We have that promise. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and start coming up. So as I wrap this up, let's take communion together today. And let's do it with hearts full of joy. You know that joy you get when you open that Christmas present and it's that thing you've always wanted? You know that way that that makes you feel? That's the joy that we should have when we understand truly what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because let me show you one last scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. We got it on the screen. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Amen. How can you trust in that if you don't trust that God's word has always been there for you? But if you have an understanding that God is now and has always been faithful, then no matter what you go through, you look at that scripture. And you say, my God has plans for me. I don't care what has happened. So let's take communion together with hearts full of that Christmas morning joy. That one of the biggest pro promises that our Father God has ever, could ever give to us has already been fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. We've already opened that present and we get to experience that blessing every day. Over and over again. You never have to walk through a fear alone. You never have to walk through a trial alone because Jesus Christ is with you and he has made a way for you to conquer those things. We don't have to wait 700 years anymore. He's with you now, and he knows what you're going through. So as I pray, I'm going to pray that God shows you those things maybe that you're, that you're fearing or those things that, um, that just aren't going right in your life that God wants to take from you. He wants to take that burden and that fear from you. And just let him pinpoint those things to you. And then your job, when he pinpoints to you, hey, that interview that's coming up next week that you're worried about, I got this, don't worry, I'm with you. When he shows you whatever that thing is, then our job is to trust in him. And we can do it because we can look at the word and we can see how for thousands of years our God has been faithful to his word. Amen? So Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are, you are now and you have always been faithful to us. Sometimes we can't wrap our minds around what that means when it doesn't look like we think it should mean. But God, we know you have left us a trail, a literal map that we can look at and see word that testifies to your faithfulness. And so, Father, first of all, we want to repent before you of not believing in you. 
not having the kind of faith that gives us peace as we go through trials. Because we, got, God, we know, we know that you are faithful. And so while we thank you for that, we also thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to us. And that we get to celebrate the fact that you gave him for us. And that he took upon himself everything that we deserved. Lord, we don't deserve your blessing. We don't deserve the things that we have. But you love us enough to make sure that we have more than enough. Far more than we deserve. And you have always been faithful in that way. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this season where the world's eyes, not just ours, are focused on your son, Jesus. And, Lord, I just pray that you pinpoint those things in our hearts that we need to give to you. Those burdens as we go into this season, those burdens that we just need to offload and lay them at the foot of the cross so that we don't carry those with us as we go into the world to be the light as we go into the world to share the true joy and the reason that we do this with those who know you and those who don't know you alike. With free, being free from those burdens, God, we can, we can be that light. And so, Father, we give it up to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, let's go ahead. If God is ministering to you, speaking to you, stay in your seats and just let him speak to you. Let him work on your heart. But when you are ready, you can move around and start taking communion. At the crosses, we have juice and bread and gluten-free crackers. You can serve yourself there if you'd like. Gabe and I will be up here. We would love to serve you. And we have wine and bread and crackers up there. But again, let's do that with just that, that youthful exuberance that we get on Christmas morning. Thankful greatest gift that's ever been given we've already got amen thank you church
Father, we feel your presence in this place, and we are just filled with joy for who you are in our lives, God. And God, we want to fill this place with joy right now for the coming, the celebration of the coming of your birth, God. Joy, peace, hope, the promise of God, these are the things that we celebrate in this season. These are the things that describe Jesus. We love you, Lord. 